Hi, good morning, everybody. Okay, um, there, there was a, a handout lying around somewhere. Use it, don't use it, no problemo. Um, today, uh, this will be the last time you see me for a few weeks. Pastor Bukes will be here next time. And next time is not next Friday. Yeah, we... Uh, Unless you know people in the congregation who's willing to come on Friday morning to ch- do child care, we're not going to have it. There's no school next week, and Val is, uh, Val Gate is very nervous about having, you know, over, or being overrun with children. So, yeah, there's a safety issue. A lot of little kids. Plus, I try to not. Uh, make Val nervous, so that's just a general rule in my life. If Val gets worked up, I get worked down. All right. Um, yeah, no, she's, I mean, well, yeah, there's either going to be no children next week or a 100 children, so it's kind of hard to plan, because everyone, you know, you guys could be on vacation next week. So no, no women's Bible study next Friday. We'll be back then uh, April 7th? 7th. April 7th, and Pastor Bukes will be teaching, and he will be teaching on motherhood and virginity at the next section in the, the handout um, where you find out you're, whether you're a mother or, or a virgin. You're both. You're both of them. Which is strange, but beautiful. Okay. All right, so we are, I, now look at uh, the review is only three little points, and I just want to get to the point, I want to get to this, what does this mean? So Genesis 2 reveals that uh, we are originally are, we have original solitude. Uh, after naming all the animals, man is alone in front of God, and he experiences solitude in his body. So his body is not like other bodies, because it's made for another like his. So that goes to the original unity. Eve causes Adam to say, in a sense, look, a body that expresses the person. He, of course, says, flesh of my flesh and bone of my, or I'm sorry, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Um, But he very well could have said, look, a body that expresses the person. So in the... In that circumstance, now we find out that the body expresses the person. So uh, when Adam sees Eve and Eve sees Adam, they know who they are, well, who he is or who she is and he, who he ought to be and who she ought to be. There's this great uh, relationship between each other. So male and female bodies reveal their common humanity, first of all. They're, they're alone in front of God, they're so, the original solitude. But in fact, that they're made for each other. And when I say made for each other, I mean like concretely, their parts fit together. I'm just going to leave it like that, okay? So I, I and and that's 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 what I am thinking about most of the time, is that so men and women are are fitted to be in relationship to one another, okay. Once again, I, I feel like sometimes I have to make that explicit because, as I told you a few weeks ago, I found out that people are not people. They're animals. So I, I have to make sure that you realize people are people and not animals. So when I say they fit each other, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. 
Now, then the last point, though, is the original nakedness, which is the last line from Genesis chapter 2. Both naked, they were both naked and were not ashamed. Um, before the fall into sin, the naked body is the revelation of the person, which testifies to the complete unity between the body and the spirit. Okay, so the nakedness is not just, hey, they're in a nudist colony, but it is the revelation of the person get to see into the person. So intimacy means into me see. All right. So what, what is all this is getting at? Is, um, is that the body has a God-given meaning. It's who you are and what you are, you are meant to do. So you are male and female. These are fundamental building blocks to just the way the Bible talks and the way of humanity. Of course, this is called into question in kind of current context. Next is, uh, what does this mean then? You, what are you meant to do? Well, you're to give your body to another and then receive another's body. I, I actually didn't put this in the, the handout, but in the Lutheran Service Builder, I mean book, it's definitely in the agenda, which is like the pastor's version of this. Um, no, they don't put it in here. Okay. Where, um, the vows. I give my body to thee. The husband and wife both give each other their bodies. And that's an old, that's an old, uh, with this ring I give my body to you. Okay. So, so it's a, uh, it, it's an echo of, of, of what happens at Adam and Eve. All right, uh, so these are the two main points, and these are the two points that we're going to talk about uh, as they get kind of played out within our current context. And um, so that first quote from page nine of the handout is, um, I, I, I highlighted the uh, being a person means striving towards self-realization. So uh, I guess let's just kind of read the whole thing. Man, whether man or woman, is the only being among the creatures of the visible world that God, the Creator, has willed for its own sake. Which, uh, which you know, I think we talked about two weeks ago. That creature is thus a person, not an animal. <laughs> being a person means striving towards self-realization, which can only be achieved through a sincere gift of self. The model for the interpretation of the person is God himself as Trinity, as a communion of persons. So, so it's fundamentally about God. To say that man is created in the image and likeness of God means that man is called to exist for others, to become a gift. So being a person means striving towards self-realization. And self-realization can be, uh, well, it's mainly understood that God made the body and man discovers the body. Now when I say man, I mean male and female. So there is a... a, a uh, kind of a lifelong journey of learning who you are. Now, of course, when I mention the body in this circumstance, I am talking the, the pre-fall testimony in Genesis 2, and the discovery can only be done through the forgiveness of sins. So going back a long time ago, we lose the image of God when we become sinful. When God forgives our sins and restores our relationship, 
we're, 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 we have the right relationship with God, now we have the right image. I mean, we have the, uh, the image that we were created to have. Um, and it's in that milieu, then, that you can rightly begin to understand or begin to rightly understand your body. So, uh, but, but again, this discovery is simply receiving what God has given and is giving. Article 1 of the Creed, the explanation, God has made me and all creatures, my members, my... Marilyn, what is it again? Yeah, all my senses... And still preserves us. Yes, thank you. I uh, I always just think God made my 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 feeling, my smelling, my seeing, my tasting, hearing. That's all of them, right? So touching, and then of course um, all my senses also includes my my uh, insides, my spiritual aspect, my heart. Okay, um, so. Uh, so, so, uh, so God gives us this body, and we are discovering what this means. Um, but again, of course, this is within this gift-giving relationship that we had talked about last week, which, uh, which of course, is unconditional and grace-centered. So, um, so we must recognize in the body, so we recognize that the interior dimension of the gift, that is who we are, of our spiritual aspect has an exterior reality. The body reveals a person. This is this is like this is important to us of understanding who we are, the self-discovery or self-realization. Now, of course, this can be misinterpreted, and, and it is quite regularly. Discovery means learning more and more about who you are, not changing who you are. Um, and this is one of the great gifts that God gives to us. Um, so Adam and Eve stand before God. The closer they draw to God, the closer they draw to one another. The more they learn about God, the, learn, the more they learn about themselves and one another. How does that happen? Well, God gives you. God's, God's gift runs in the way of God. So we talked a little bit about the art and the intention of the artist. Remember that from that video? So God has an intention. His intention, though, is, of course, always attached to who he is. So God is eternal. So the gifts he gives are eternal, which means that there's not really an end to them. There's always more. And so when God gives you you, there's always more to learn. And the reason why that is is because there's always more to God. So as you live in relationship with God, you're growing in the knowledge of God, but, but as you grow in the knowledge of God, you realize that's in relation to you. So you're learning more about you. It's kind of strange to think about it that way, but that's how I think. So anyways, so the discovery means learning more and more about who you are and not changing who you are. Sometimes when we talk about people changing, we... Really, that, that becomes from the sinner to the justified. That's, the, that's the, the fundamental change. But once we are restored to who we are in relation to God, we're just learning more of who we are, which feels like we're changing. 
but we're not changing fundamentally. We're still, we're still us. We're still people. We're still who we are. Okay. Um, so your body is the first discovery of who you are, just like Adam and Eve. Well, I got a body. It's not like other bodies. Well, there's a body over there. Hey, we're meant to be together. See, those who struggle with their bodies, even to the point of changing genders, are in the midst of the struggle of discovering who they are. This is really important for us. Everybody struggles with their body. Why do they struggle with their body? Because of sin. And we're, we're going to talk about how this gets, but sin, little foreshadow, uh, heads up, sin separates our body and our spirit. We'll see that in a little bit. So because sin separates our body and spirit, everyone struggles with their body. Male and female struggle with their bodies. Um, and of course, I think this is especially true for women, but it's not only. I mean, we all struggle with our bodies. Uh, the discovery of your body means receiving the gift God gave you. So not only understanding your gender, but also your femininity and all its God-given facets. That's why when we had talked in Genesis 1 where God says to both male and female, go and have dominion over the earth, that, that is an unfolding of what that means for me, male and female to subdue the earth. Not, of course, not just environmentally, but culturally. Not just as a mother, but also as, as a, a virgin. I use that virgin in kind of a technical sense because I don't like using the word single. Did I, t- I, t- I talked about that before, right? We'll talk about that more later. I don't even like the word single because nobody's single. We're not supposed to live single. We always have relationships. Now, I understand if you use the word single, I'm not going to be like, hey, that's not what the Bible says. I'm not going to say that. But um, in this circumstance, I want us to think about that. We're not single ever. We're always in relationship with one another. In fact, single as, like, literally single is, is what? Meaning you're by yourself. You're alone. No, you're alone. And who? And, and what? What does the Satan try to do? It to be by yourself. Great divorce is a C.S. Lewis novel. Great, great thing. You should think about it. Is about a journey. It's the divorce between heaven and hell. Oh yeah, we did. That's right. Hey, all right. With I with me even. Hey. You know, men have a problem listening. Um, no, but do you remember how hell was pictured? Everyone is off by themselves. They're always going farther, farther away from each other. So the idea of being single, when I say single, like by themselves, is actually uh, is of, of hell. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's not of heaven. Um, so yeah, the hermit, though, aspect, no one technically... So the hermit, and there's actually a great... Uh, spiritual aspect of the spiritual hermits of back in the old days, the desert fathers who would go, they of course weren't by themselves. Who, who did they go to the desert to be with? Yeah, so, okay. Alright, anywho. That's a tangent that I didn't need to go on, but that's okay. So, um, 
Oh, yeah. So, so the idea is that uh, go, uh, when, when uh, God gives us both male and female to go and subdue the earth, we, you are learning what it means to be a, a female in that calling. And that's why, you know, I think it's a, it's a good thing to really discuss how we are as, fe- I mean, how you are as females. I mean, I'm not a female, but, um, and, and the kind of the dynamic nature of how we figure out what it means for each one of us to live out this calling as female, as mother, you know, so it's, do I stay at home or, or do I go and have a job? Well, these are all questions that we can all support one another under under the guise of figuring out who discovering who we are according to God's calling. So nothing there's not a one image that's going to fit everybody. But there's a struggle going on and it's a struggle because of sin. I mean without sin we we have this perfect communion with God. And so everything is, is uh, you know, open to us. But now, because of sin, it's hard to see these things, and it's hard to um, participate in them. So um, now the thing is, though, this comes to most dramatic effect when uh, people start rejecting their bodies. And the, rejecting their bodies comes in all different forms from, uh, you know, a variety of things, plastic surgery to, to uh, gender uh, Identity disorder. So, um, God loves you, male and female. So that's a fundamental. That's a fundamental presupposition that we make as Christians, is that they're male and female. So, like, I don't know if Facebook does this, right? Facebook used to have all these different genders you could choose from. I don't know if they have that anymore. But um, that, that's you know, there's only two genders, male and female. Um, so. So, which means when God God loves the you, who is the you? Well, you're either male or female. So, love is actually gendered. Nancy. Yeah. Okay. So, Jesus said in heaven, you need to marry or give my marriage. Right. I took that to mean that kind of when you get to heaven, gender wasn't something we needed because we'd have to procreate. Right. So my idea was that we have gender on this earth. Right. Yeah. So you just have to ask yourself, though, the body that's resurrected is it the is it the I mean the body that was Jesus's resurrected body was Jesus's body, and it was a gendered body. So, if Jesus is is the firstborn of all creation and we are resurrected according to Jesus, then our bodies will be gendered also. Um, now, of course, the character of what that means will, will change up in heaven, right? And I think we talked about this before, is that um, we are all the bride of Christ in heaven, and we are uh, rejoicing in the marriage feast of the Lamb. For women, that, that's kind of fallen off a log. But for men, that's the struggle, right? Because I'm, I'm a bride of Christ now. And uh, I have to understand myself according to God's word. So that, that, that will be kind of an, an, an unveiling that I, I'm interested to find out what that looks like. But, um, but, the, uh, but yes, so in heaven, though, they are, um, we're just resurrected, we're, we are the resurrected bodies. So we are who we are, male and female still. Okay, um,
And that the resurrection, too, is really important, too. So, like, not to get too much on a tangent again, though, is that in, I think I just put the scripture references at the end. So, 2 John 1, 7. How do you know the Antichrist? From 2 John 1, 7, I should probably, I just put the scripture reference. I don't actually write it out. This goes to the body business. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. So, um, and then if you want to compare this also to, to 1 John, I don't know, if, is it, I think I'll put that in there too. It's the positive aspect of things. 1 John 4 2 is that Jesus, when he comes again, he comes in the flesh. So we're talking about the second coming of Christ. The notion of coming in the flesh, what does that flesh look like? Or what is it? Well, it's his body. Uh, second, second John 1, 7, and then 1 John 4, 2. But the whole point about the Second John one seven is this: the, the Antichrist tries to separate Jesus from his body. Likewise, that's precisely what happens in the Garden of Eden. So, at the end of this chapter two, they were both naked and were were uh, and were not ashamed. It's interesting that the word shame is introduced to a before the fall, before Adam and Eve sins. So shame is a really fundamental like problem. I think I might have used the word a boundary experience. It's kind of pre-shame, post-shame. Um. Shame separates the body and the soul, or spirit. Now, I, 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 by the way, I, I hope I changed. I use this word soul and spirit just as synonyms. You can make an argument they're not, but I use them that way. So if I say spirit one time and soul another, I mean the same thing. So shame separates the body and the spirit. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. Why did I bring that up? When you said spirit, did you mean man spirit or capital S? No, not capital S. Yeah, just yeah. Your your uh, your your uh, your exterior or interior, in a sense. Okay. So, um, so as Christians, we can we I I can I can completely agree with those who are struggling with their gender because there is a disunity between our bodies and souls. The disconnect is caused by sin, and we all have this struggle. Now, those who struggle with their gender, gender is uh, it's a, really an extreme version of this. However, we disagree with the solution because the solution for those who struggle with their gender and many many others is is uh, changing the body, not healing the soul, or healing the spirit. And so, um, when the body and the spirit are disaligned or disunified or disconnected, the solution is to to connect them or bring them back in line with each other. And based on Genesis, the body is, is the body that God created. It's the one you're meant to have. 
the struggle now becomes learning what it means to be male or female, this masculinity or femininity. And unfortunately, the world will have certain very specific categories of what it means to be a, 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 fe- a feminine person or a woman and then, and then a, a man. And if you don't fit into these boxes, then all of a sudden, you know, there's chaos that comes in. And, and the sadness is, is that oftentimes the solution is to fit into the box. That's how society kind of talks. And how you fit into the box could be by changing your physical appearance. Now, how that gets played out in, in all facets, right? I am meant to look, I got to be, a, well, I can talk about a man here since I'm, since I'm a guy. Um, in order for me to be a man, I have to have, you know, big muscles and a six-pack, right? I have small muscles and a one-pack. <laughs> now, oh, see, that, that's borderline shamelessness. See, that, see, that, see I got to work on this. Okay, um, so, so uh, I gotta get my mind in line here. So, anyways, so the, so everyone struggles with this and fitting into this box, these boxes. And the great thing is, is that God has a robust understanding of who we are as as men and women, as male and female. But our bodies do testify to us of who we are. So when people don't fit into the boxes, the church has a great refuge for them. As we struggle with our own bodies, we struggle with other people's bodies too, don't we? And how do we overcome that? We'll actually talk about that in a minute. Carol. Um, going backwards a bit. Yeah. When you were talking about the top of Yeah, yeah. Yeah, interior dimension of the gift, who we are. Like that's usually how we talk about who we are. Yeah. As the external it has an external reality. Right. And our body reveals person. Yep. Is could that be one reason why, um, especially females, are and uh, made unsettled mm-hmm. by harassing and inappropriate comments. Absolutely. That's, I, I'm glad you brought it up. I, I didn't know how to talk about this. Yes. Did you guys hear that? So, so this is great. Um, talk a little bit more about it, Carol, though, in terms of... Uh, well, what do you mean by that? Um, well, I'm going to case in point without getting into specifics. Something that happened here to me. Yeah. A non-member. Okay. Kind of yeah. walk in that's been around. Um, a person that has no governor or filter. Right. And... I heard things coming out of his mouth in the commons. Mm-hmm. 
that I haven't dealt with since I was 20 or 30. Mm. That you could kind of deal with around the street, but not a church. Right. And it's still, I'll just say bothers me. Yeah, right. When this, this individual is just a street person. Yeah. See, and it's like, stay away from me. Right. I, it, it's very difficult to explain the reaction. I think all the women in here. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. And it's, uh, at least for me, it's like, well, then you kind of internally fight that reaction. Mm. Here's someone that also probably needs some sort of help or some understanding. Sure. But it's like, stay away from me. Right. Yep. So, um, so first of all, like, let's kind of explore the reaction, like the visceral reaction. Um, Aaron mentioned this a few weeks ago too about like you know having this visceral reaction to shamelessness. I think I think there's a lot of reactions that we have to wrong that we don't know how to like describe or articulate. You just know it's wrong. And what, what we're doing here, though, is hopefully giving a voice to these reactions. It's just like, oh, that's why. So this person that you've encountered, Carol, has turned you or females into objects. They've separated the body from the spirit. You're no longer people. You're no longer persons. But you're things. Or an animal. I mean, it, it, however, you're just not people, and that's wrong. I mean, that's that's not that's not only like kind of wrong. That's like fundamentally wrong to your existence. Hence, your visceral reaction. Now, what is driving that reaction? It's your body, yourself, and this is a great thing. Your body. You don't, you don't, your, 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 your mind doesn't know how to articulate it or, or, or give it a voice. Your body does. And it's in that reaction. So this is something where we don't, we, I mean, Amaran society has no clue on this. That your body does speak or communicate. Uh, the, so the church uh, says, yeah, of course your body communicates because we have the sacraments. You, uh, the large catechism's explanation to holy baptism is so good because Luther will talk about the word and the water. You have to have these both. Not only because of Christ, because God says so, but uh, because of who you are. The spirit receives the word and the body receives the water. It's these two. What is, what is happening in baptism? Your body and your spirit are together now. They're being restored. So, um, so I often will like say, hey, how does the child know that he's, he or she's baptized? Well, he got wet. She got wet. The body, the body has received, received it. See, unfortunately, we put such a huge emphasis on the mind 
or or this uh, the rational rational aspect of the humanity that we kind of deny the body. But God in Genesis, your your body and spirit together. So um, so oftentimes, well, the baby doesn't understand it. Well, I, I think the baby does because the baby's crying. The water's freezing, and guess what? The baby knows it's baptized. Now, the baby's not going to be able to articulate it. Just like Carol, you weren't able to articulate what happened to you here in the commons. But your body sure did. Knew what to do. Knew that something was wrong. So, uh, the, the, the baptism example is just, it's the opposite. It's the positive aspect. It's the positive thing of what you experience negatively. So this, um, you know, of course, then this gets really played out, of course, uh, in all different facets of life, and um, uh, you know the the unfor- you know we'll we'll see what happens in the future with those who change their bodies, if if they actually, re- I mean I'll say that they won't experience healing. I just I just they won't. Um, but this is a this is a this will be a test for the church to be able to love them. Yeah, Aaron. Um, I've just been thinking about this the last few weeks. I, I came across a story of a young girl, she was 14, who was on like ESPN or something. Sure. And she, born female, identifies as male, mm-hmm. and so has been allowed to take testosterone to right. subdue female characteristics. Right. Male characteristics. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But she's a wrestler. A female wrestler, right? And she competes against other girls. And so the problem is, she's taking testosterone. She just won the state championship. Right. Everybody's calling her a cheater. Right. And she's saying, like, well, you won't let me wrestle boys, even though I identify as. Right. Anyway, the details aren't that important, but I want to story, and she's just she's miserable. Like she's. And I guess, like, what I saw is there's this sweet person who's just trapped. Like, she doesn't know. She's like, you won't let me do this, but how am I? I am a guy. Like, she's she's in this trap. And it yeah. Work. And um, something separately that I've been reading was about how the idea of, you know, the Christian doctrine of original sin. Right. Humans are sinful is actually, like, a really freeing thing. And how it looks like this negative thing from the outside. Right. When you dive into it and see how it plays itself out, it's freedom. And applying that to this girl, it's like she feels that her, so she separated her body and her spirit. And yeah. It's like, that's sin. Like, mm-hmm. that's cause that's right. sin. And like as a Christian, we know we can deal with that as sin and that she doesn't have to go with that. She doesn't have to play that out in its full extent. Right. But, she, her body and her... Yeah, right. It doesn't happen. So, it just made me think, like, man, the idea that, like, we can treat and have our sin healed as Christians is the only thing that can allow our freedom. But when you have no tools to deal with that original sin, because you don't believe that you're originally sinful... Right. You're just in this trap. There's no way out. Yeah, right. It's just such a picture of that. It's so bad. Yeah, you know, and again, this is, uh, Aaron describes, you know, just kind of an extreme version of, of kind of what's happening in each one of us because of sin. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting because um, 
Yeah, original sin for some people is, is a hard doctrine to believe because it feels people believe, you know, did God make me sinful? Well, it's, he's setting me up for, you know, to lose. That doesn't seem very nice. Well, we, you know, we, we kind of talked about this already, is that, you know, there's a common, humanity is together on this. So in Adam and Eve's sin, we've all, we've all sinned because of our relationship to one another. And that's why in, in Romans, when Jesus, you know, because of one man's sin, all of sin, but because of one man's, you know, death and resurrection, we're all, we're all, we all have salvation. So, um, so yeah, understanding that the, thing, the, the, the things that are broken in you are treatable. Now, it, treatable, though, understood in terms of faith and hope. So we want to, write, we want to set the right expectations. It's not as if my sins are forgiven I'm done. I'm, I'm perfect now. I'm, 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 uh, I have no more struggle. No. Uh, it is this constant struggle until our resurrection. Until we, we uh, awake, awake in, in the presence of God. So, Beth. I was going to say, sometimes I don't think we share that, well, we are in this class, sharing that struggle enough because I have friend too that yeah. was brought up in the church but drifted right. he has this impression of me that I don't have that struggle right so you know like I said and I can tell that from different things that yeah, well, yeah. said and then um, I know my first reaction if I feel like I've blown it is to stay away from right you know like maybe I just am not going to go this time today. right this or that because I don't want to face that yeah. That, but that's where the Lord works through you when you come back to it. But you're so embarrassed or you feel like, oh, nobody else is having this stuff. Right. Wait, wait. And so that's been an, an eye opening That's great. That's great, Beth. Yeah. Share that. Yeah, you're healed. So uh, not your, your, your disordered body and your disordered relationships are healed. I'm going to big reveal. It's at the end of the handout. Are revealed precisely in the body of Christ. Sacramentally, and ecclesiology, um, which means in the Lord's Supper and in the church. So, Beth, you described this. So, you're so my when you know when you sinned or you're you're ashamed. Your reaction is to draw away. But God has given the church precisely as as the milieu, as the environment for healing. Because that's the body. The body is active in this. Yeah. Well, outside the church, they'll be, they have their problems. So, goody two shoes. Yeah, goody two shoes, judgmental. Yeah, and, and frankly, well, people. Yeah, I mean, that's those are sins, obviously, right? So, so, uh, so sometimes our sins are are you know, the only advertisement the church makes are our sins. But if you know, of course, if the church is honest, we're like, yeah, of course. I mean, yes, we are we are sinful people. Uh, in, in fact, uh, just just as. Uh, Side note with Beth saying is that, you know, confession absolution should make it pretty clear to everybody that we all confess that we're damn sinners, that we have no uh, 
no right to judge another without condemning ourselves, too. So, um, you know, but unfortunately, it doesn't get played out that way. And, and, you know, some people just don't want to be called a sinner, period. So regardless, if you say, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we, we, can, we can understand each other, or we have this commonality standing before the cross of Christ, you know, people don't want to hear that either. So you're thinking, hey, we're in this. We can do that. You know, we can, we can stand before God together as sinners and receive his forgiveness. And some people say, well, no, I'm not really a sinner. So they want to draw away from you. So there's all, there's all different kind of things going on that we uh, need to work out. Marilyn. In a more practical aspect, I mean, this is all very deep and, and we're learning. Yeah, right digest all this but in society today where you see all the tv programs and the books and all the self self-help right you know feel better about yourself sure you know all of the physical spiritual those kinds yeah right of things that want to make us better and then we have people saying well my five-year-old little boy thinks he's a little girl right raise them as a little girl right how do we participate in society yeah right without going well you know i'm holier than you because i've got my body and soul right. all lined up and i've got my act together <laughs> yeah right but how do you then show compassion how yeah do you i mean it's a big thing to swallow i just feel like we're we're losing a lot of people yeah because we don't know how to react to it yeah um okay so there's a couple things to keep in mind. One is, um, uh, not everyone's going to like what you have to say, period. No matter how loving and articulate you are. But I don't even know how to say it. Yeah. <laughs> so there's another aspect, too, is that a lot of these conversations are all theoretical. It's not until you know someone that struggles with this that you actually have to start talking and thinking about this. So, um, so first of all, this is not a political issue. That's most people want to talk about it in terms of politics and laws and legalities. You know, I haven't done any of that. I'm, think, I'm strictly talking about what the Bible says. So, um, you know, so like, well, yeah. I mean, so what, whatever the law says... To a certain extent, is, is we just have to keep that outside. And when people use that as the framework in which to talk to you, you have to understand that and then be able to, to say to them, I, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I'm actually, I'm actually saying something different. And this, this conversation then can only really be done over the course of conversations. So, I mean, you could say to a person, yeah, I mean, you might think there's whatever, 56 genders, but the Bible says there's two. They can reject that. They say, forget it. Um, they might call you judgmental, too, but, you know, you're just saying that, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so the, the aspect, though, too, is that, um, you know, oftentimes this gets played out in the schools, right, because of school boards and the bathroom issues, is that, um, but those, again, are legal and political discussions. So we can't come to those discussions saying, the Bible says this. 
But we also do have to um, observe, you know, common history. The world has existed for, for a long time under the impression that there's been two genders. So maybe that, that might say something. Um, but again, what makes things right is, is uh, it's already said, so it's love. We actually talk about this later in the outline. Is that So love is going to now reorder or realign people. So you're not interested in winning debates. So that's why it goes back to the real people that you are interacting with, not theoretical arguments with somebody who doesn't deal with this, but people you know who have, you have relationships with. And love is going to reorder that. And uh, I give the Heidelberg Disputation, Article 28, which this group has talked about many times, where love creates the... Love creates, now the word object is used in different tense. Back to Carol's point from last week or two weeks ago, sometimes we mix the grammar here. So, um, so love creates the thing rather than love finds it. And so love, so how is love defined? Well, precisely by Jesus, through the forgiveness of sins. And so then that means on a, on, a, on a certain level, suffering with with whoever you're relating to, and at the same time, uh, plotting forward because you love that person, and being willing to even suffer, to suffer not only suffer under the struggle but suffer violence. Usually, that comes through name calling or being angry with you or whatever. That. Let's say physical violence. So, um, so yeah, I I won't. I very rarely will engage in theoretical debates about these things with people, because I don't trust people to listen. Be real honest. So if I'm walking down the street and someone asks me about this, I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. Why do you want to talk about it? Well, because I I don't think you want to listen to me. They have to show me that they want to listen. I think that's a normal expectation in a relationship. To listen, to, to, to be heard. And, uh, you know, that, uh, that's not happening in politics now. So why, I don't even want to talk about it. Now, I'm not giving you advice on how to do this, by the way. I'm talking about myself. Um, so unless someone is willing to listen, because I'm very willing to listen. At least I think I am. I hope to be. Uh, that will be the times where I engage in these discussions with society. Um, but in theoretical debates, I won't. Because it's all theory. and it, I mean, it could be applied to this person, but not this person. So, yeah, so I think the, the, the greatest testimony in society that the church can make is the life they live. So you know we're uh, you know so the marriage debate over the last well the reason why this is even an issue is because the church has ruined marriage terribly. There's just no there's no witness to the realities that what Scripture shows. I mean that's a general statement by the way because there's a lot of great 
narratives out there that I want to emulate. Um, and then also, too, friendships. It's another one. It's the church. The best witness for the church is not to talk about it; is to live it. And until that happens, it's going to be real hard for for the church. Until someone says, "Huh, why are they doing that, or why are they living that way?" It's it's going to be hard to make a make an argument. We see this actually in the history of the church, especially in the early church when people were martyred. Uh, when people were, were you know, being fed to the lions for being Christians and, and uh, praying for, for forgiveness for those who killed them, people were like, huh, what's going on here? Um, because the propaganda couldn't, couldn't control it. Nero, right? Does everyone know Nero? I mean, Nero was a crazy person, of course, but he was a good propagandist. A lot of the Roman emperors were. Um, but the witnesses of the Christians overcame the propaganda against them to the point that people didn't believe the the, the hype about him. And unfortunately, I think that's that's. I think that's the template that we need to emulate today. And how we do that is by living it, not by arguing it. Yeah, that's, a, that's somewhat of an esoteric answer to your question. But um, So churches that say, not our church, but right. in general that say, well, you know, Bill and Fred want to get married and we're being very open-minded, we're being... Yeah. So, yeah, sure, we'll go ahead and marry them. Right. That's, that's, uh, so that, that's a little bit of a different conversation because it's within those who profess to be Christians. And that conversation is different than, you know, kind of talking about the, the people, you know, kind of outside the church. I was mainly thinking about outside the church. Those within the church, we do have a common relationship, theoretically again, that we want to, we want to call upon. Um, and and uh, we want to we want to study scripture in its fullness. So yeah, there could be a point where somebody says that's not what the Bible says, or I don't care what the Bible says, or that's what it meant a long time ago, but that we don't really need to do that now today. Um, yeah, that's a, that's an that's an argument about the authority of scripture, not not even what it says. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And then that's why, again, we want to only talk, I think we only want to talk with people who are willing to listen. So, since you brought it up, um, let's just talk a little bit about this next thing. Um, To be human means to be called into personal communion. Personal communion is primarily understood in... Uh, marriage, but as I highlight in that quote, it's not the only one. And I, I kind of introduced the idea of friendship. So male and female give their bodies to each other in marriage. Male and female give their bodies in, in friendship. What I mean, like, I can give my body to another male in, in, in friendship. Now, what does that mean? 
being, the being for the other helps overcome solitude so that you exist in interpersonal communion. So our existence can't be, it always has to be for someone, or for the other, right? Because Adam was by himself, and it wasn't good to be by himself. So the interior call to be a gift, that means for someone, to love God as, as, as God loves, is stamped in the beauty and mystery of our body and the sexual complementary. Uh, sexual difference causes us to espousal unity and distinction, so that's marriage aspect. So your bodies as females has a certain way of being in that relationship with, with, a, with a male, primarily as, as you know, receiver and male as the giver. But the interior call to be a gift, to love as God loves, is also understood in friendship by giving your body to another through sacrifice, not sexually. So in both relationships, personal communion is fulfilled, and in both relationships are signs of more, something more fundamental. So both marriage and friendship point to something even more uh, important or fundamental, and that's our communion with God. Because both marriage and friendship are fulfilled in heaven. Now, this can be under, misunderstood. Um, sexual desire is not the ultimate fulfillment of all of our desires. And that oftentimes that's how uh, our relationships are understood. But that's worshiping a created thing. But that's why sexual sin is always idolatry. I mean, if you ever wondered about this, you know, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, it's because. Um, you're taking the thing that God created as a sign of his communion with himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then you're, 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 uh, you're saying that's not what it's for. So um, sexual sin is always idolatry. We could talk more about that. But um, sexual desires are signs for greater desire. And this is, this is interesting is that we can embrace the idea of having desires but our desires are always something, our desires for something greater, and that's intimacy with God. So, you know, sex between male and females without marriage does not have a sincerity. That was a technical term from that previous quote in the relationship. Sincerity is, so a relationship that's supposed to point to God and recapitulate Eden, that's what I should have said, is now turned in on itself. Adultery is really about turning in on oneself rather than being mutually being for the other. It exists for the individual, of course, which is, is uh, you know, we talked about that earlier. Sex between friends, male, and fem- male, male, female, female, does not embrace the body's purpose within friendship. And it does not embrace, obviously, the, the, the body's purpose in marriage. Primary purpose, one of the primary, there's two primary purposes, and that's procreation. Is, is having babies um, within marriage. So, of course, you know, a, a, a sexual relationship that, that is, uh, you know, fundamentally unable to procreate is, is not according to what Adam and Eve, or to God's purpose. Um, but also, too, though, uh, friendships, so m- male and male friendships, you, d- you don't have sex with one another because your intimacy is understood your body's purpose in that relationship is not sex, but actually is sacrifice. So 
either in marriage and in friendship, your body does point towards your relationship with God and, and actually recapitulates the cross. So marriage and friendship, as God has articulated in Scripture, actually points to Jesus' love on the cross. I only have like two minutes, so we can't unpack that. So you think about it for a while. Let it sit on your brain and your heart and come and think about it. Um, anyways, uh, so when in both circumstances, the, you know, using our body or uh, understanding our bodies differently and, and understanding our relationships, both of these um, destroy the inner interpersonal communion and then don't reflect the image of God and, and man and turn in on ourselves. I mean, th- these are the reasons why these things are not right. The thing is, though, Jesus prays in John chapter 17. I'm going to just race through this real quick. We read this in chapel. Jesus says to the Father that he wants his disciples, the church, to be one as the Father and him are one, to be in, in with each other. So he's praying for intimacy between themselves and between God and them. And this is a very interesting passage because within the Gospel of John, both of these are fulfilled in Jesus as the bridegroom and as the friend. So John chapter 3, 29, John the Baptist calls Jesus the bridegroom. Who's the bride if Jesus is the bridegroom? Well, I'm going to skip ahead. The church, the people of God. Where is the consummation of the marriage in the Gospel of John if Jesus is the bridegroom? Anybody want to take a stab? Yes, the cross. Where he, his, his, the, um, where water and blood flow out of his side. This is where he, uh, there's a very, very interesting crucifix where Jesus is obviously hanging on the cross, and Mary, as a, as a representative of the church, is actually receiving the, the water and blood out of Jesus' side. It's a very powerful image, and one that at first seems kind of strange, but it's actually a, it's actually a great image to think about, is that Christ on the cross is consummating the marriage between as the bridegroom, as the bride. Um, and we see this also reflected in Ephesians chapter 5, 25 through 30. We have no time, so you have to look it up later. And then second of all, John 15, 12 through 17, Jesus calls himself the friend. Who is the befriended? It is the church. It is these disciples. And where is the friendship primarily displayed? We all know the Jungle Book, I've already said, in the cross. The unity that Jesus speaks is person to person then in John chapter 17. It is the naked and without shame unity. John uses both of these images of the bride, bridegroom, and friends to speak to the intimacy that God desires with us. Marriage and friendship display the desire for intimacy, but according to each calling Next week, when we, or uh, two weeks from now, when we talk about motherhood and virginity, those are the callings now that each one of us, we get, well, for women especially, but men have 
not motherhood, but fatherhood and virginity. Um, I've already talked about this. I, just, I, want to, I do want to finish this today. How does this all go around? Shame. Shame turns the person into an object. Um, you'll have to think about how that really plays out a lot, but it's true. It's really true. Um, so, yeah, so Adam and Eve cover their bodies when they sin. So they've separated their bodies from each other by the covering. Um Shame also, today we're ashamed of our bodies. So we, we either try to change them or deny them or I mean, we do a lot of things. Um, but how is it made right? I already talked about love. Shame turns a person into an object. Love turns the object into a person. Love brings unity to the body and soul because love means giving yourself to another so that another may, uh, may have life. So um, there was one point I wanted to make about this at the end here. Uh, well, this, you, I think it's all there. You could probably just read it all. But um, love is manifested in Jesus, but we need to be concrete about this. It's the body of Jesus the body of the crucified and risen Christ. Jesus gives us his body for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. It's in the Lord's Supper. We are bone of bone and flesh of flesh with Jesus. So his body, both the sacrament and the church, gives meaning to our bodies. His body heals our souls. The Lord's Supper reunites our body and soul. This is the place where everything gets put back together. Um, anyways, we're, we're past time, but if you haven't read the next section, if you read it a long time ago, read the, the next section on motherhood and virginity. It's really, it's, I think it's very interesting. Um, yeah, so we'll just keep the conversation going. All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.